What is the greatest thing that you hope to accomplish here on earth? Think about that for a moment. Just ponder all the different things that that you could consider. The greatest thing that you could accomplish here on earth. To some of us, it's if I could just accomplish the best education. Maybe your family, maybe through history, your family didn't have the best opportunities for education. So some of you are like, if I can just get the highest degree. To some of us, it's like, you know what? I would consider it a life worth lived if I got one degree. And so that right there would be what I would love to accomplish this side of earth. To others, it's about power. It's, man, I would love to be the president of, fill in the blank, <laughs> the president or, or the CEO. If, if not those, I would love to be a manager. I would love to, to lead people. Okay, I'd like to be able to have that, that great uh, authority to be able to guide people to a goal. And to some of us, it might be as simple as, listen, I just want to be self-employed. That, that would be like the greatest thing that I could accomplish is to be someone who is self-employed, does not have a boss, I'm my own boss. To some of us, it's a little bit more athletic. Some of us want to be the top athlete. Some of us want to be in, in peak physical condition. Some of us, if we would have one desire before we die, would be to have six-pack abs, right? I am settling for a three-liter. No, sorry. <laughs> no, but some of us, our goal is just, you know what? I would consider it a life worth lived if I lost a few pounds. Others, though, we think more finance. My goal in life is to be wealthy, or maybe not wealthy, because that, that's such a subjective term. How about just, I want to be financially independent. Okay, some of us, well, listen, I don't want to be like, you know, maybe uh, Donald Trump or, or uh, Bernie Sanders or just some, some of those people who are extremely wealthy. Some of us just want a simple life. Listen, I just want to be able to buy whatever I want when I want. That's all. Okay. Some of us may just want to be debt free. That would be their goal. I want to leave that as a legacy for my family. I want to get debt free or just, just self-sufficient. That I have a good job that will last until uh, I retire and then it will take care of me afterwards. Listen, all of these goals that we just talked about, and, and you may have come up with some more as, as you were thinking this through. But listen, uh, these are they're considered worthy goals. But listen to me very carefully. These goals may be the very things that are distracting you from what is most important. I'll give you an example. Uh, when I was younger, and I, I wish I could say a long, long time ago, but I, I have a weakness for video games, okay? I get hooked whenever the screen is going and you're having... I, I admit, I get hooked on that. I get hooked on this thing called Clash of Clans, okay? And... Video games, I kind of have a weakness for that because why? Because I want to win. I want to win. I want to move up to the next level. But but you know what I found out? There was actually one time I was working at a warehouse and I had to get in like at 5 a.m. I remember it was about 8 or 9 o'clock. I had just eaten dinner. I sat down to play some video games, right? I was playing this one video game. And I blinked is what I felt. I blinked. I made it to a different level. I looked at the clock and it was 3 a.m. And I'm like, oh dear. 
You know what? Every time I reached a higher level, my wife never came in and cheered me on. That's, that's sad, isn't it? When I reached an end of a level, I'd be like, yay! And there was nobody to celebrate with me. So here's the real question. All those hours I spent on that video game, what did I really accomplish? There was a quote from Francis Chan that shook me up tremendously. Francis Chan says this, Our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. What I want to talk about today, and I hope... Hopefully, as you worship with the songs and as you uh, worship through prayer and stuff, I hope that, that I hope that you noticed there was a theme. Okay, I, this is a God planned theme. It's the fact that, folks, we desire to be a victorious people. We desire that individually and corporately. But in order to be a very victorious person, a real victorious person, we have to pursue what really matters. We have to pursue. And listen, as Christians. We are to be living for more than what this world can offer. Why? Because we have come to know through our study of God's word, through our small groups together, by by sharing life on life, by understanding God more and more as the years have gone by, we know that there is a greater reward for living and for pursuing things in the next world, not this one. This world ends suddenly and everything that goes along with it. So it's the next world is that which we should seek after. It is the next world which is that which we should seek to invest in. I want you to take your Bible. And I know that that sounds like a very general term. We're going to unpack this. But go to Jeremiah chapter 9. We're going to spend the majority of our time on just two verses. I know, shocking, right? Two verses. And we're just going to camp out there. And just allow God to speak to us about pursuing what really matters. Jeremiah chapter 9, starting in verse 23. What does it mean to pursue what really matters? Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 says this. Thus says the Lord. Alright, so this is God speaking. Okay. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Think about what this verse just highlighted, things that we should not boast in. Okay, There's wisdom. There's might or strength. There's riches. There's wealth. Okay, Aren't these the very things you're told to pursue? I mean, think about it. In every, in every category, when I ask the question, what's the greatest thing you hope to accomplish? It can be categorized in one of these three areas. Either wisdom, either strength, or in wealth. So the very thing that you and I are called to do, God warns us against. Listen, we love these three things. Let's just be honest. In our flesh, we want these three things. Why? Because smart people, sensible people draw a crowd. 
And we love a crowd. They've got their own TV shows, their own radio shows. So we like people who are smart, people who are wise, and we want to listen to them. People of authority, we want to be like that because we want to get things done. We have great plans that we can't do on our own. So a leader, someone in authority, is someone who can gather other people around him or her to get things done. How about wealthy people? Wealthy people have friends and stuff. How many of you don't mind friends and stuff, right? Sure, we all want those. And we admire people who have these things. These are the very things that you and I chase after all the time. But listen, here's the problem with these three. The problem with wisdom is that it is usually not carried on to the next generation. Say that again. The problem with your wisdom is that usually it is not carried on to the next generation. Sure, you may even write a book about it, but it gets stuck in a library. We see that happen throughout the people of Israel. Okay? When people had great wisdom, it seemed like it died with the wisdom holder. We see that happen in our own lives as well. It seems like generation after generation, someone comes up with great thoughts, great wisdom and insight, but then a generation or two later, we're committing the same folly that those generations did before. And we didn't learn from it. So your wisdom most of the time dies with you. The problem with authority, the problem with strength, is that, listen, the authority, the crown of authority, is constantly changing heads, isn't it? It's constantly, other people are constantly being crowned. A good example of that, right now we got the Super Bowl coming up next week. The Super Bowl. How many coaches have been fired this year and replaced already? I mean, it's constantly happening in, in that type of world. It's constantly happening in your workplace. It is always happening. Authority is like trying to hold sand in your hand. It's always just sifting away. The problem with wealth, here's the problem with wealth, is that all the benefits of your wealth end with your last breath. Your wealth really doesn't carry over. Now listen, am I, am I anti-wisdom? Am I anti-strength? Am I anti-wealth? But that depends on the source. That depends on the source. Let's look at the passage again. Thus says the Lord. Don't miss this. Thus says the Lord. Let not the wise boast in what? His wisdom. Did you catch that? Let not the, bo- the mighty boast in His might. Let not the rich boast in his riches. We are pursuing the wrong things. We are told from this world, literally from birth, we are told that wisdom, strength, and wealth are what we must attain. And listen to this. And it must come from us. It must come from within. So we spend our lives looking inward for what? For peace, for comfort, for purpose, 
and for victory. And you say to yourself, no, I don't look inward. Then why do they call it self-help? And what makes it worse? We are Christ followers. And not only are we living just like how God says not to, we're teaching it to our children. I mean, does this not look familiar in churches? Hey kids, accept Christ, but pursue your best. Receive Christ, but go after the highest wisdom you can get. Go after the greatest strength. Go after the scholarships. That's what you need to pursue. Yes, if we got time, we'll go to church. But you need to pursue more than anything your dreams. You need to pursue your strength. You need to pursue your wisdom. Why? So that hopefully one day you'll get your wealth and I can retire. And we teach it to our children. Listen, as we grow older, don't we see the truth of this scripture coming out? Think about it. As we grow older, the wisdom of our mind slows down. Amen? I think I've forgotten more than, I, than I've ever learned. Yes, we age. How about this? Our body, the strength, the things that we used to, to hold in high regard, our body weakens. There are athletes today that say, I'm 45, I'm 50 years old, and I could still outrun those young whippersnappers. Listen, if you could, then you'd be on a team. Right? And our wealth... It shrinks. How many times we, we save up all our lives, all our lives, and then we retire, and then something goes wrong medically, and in and, and one week we lose everything. Or stock market does something that it should not do, and we lose in a moment. We've invested for 40, 50, 60 years. Gone. The blink of an eye. If you are honest with yourself, you know that you yearn for more. Please understand me. There is a wisdom. There is a strength. There is a wealth that you and I must pursue. There is. But it must not come from you. It must not come. It's got to come from a greater source than me. Which brings us to the next verse. Jeremiah 24, the first part of it says this. Remember, don't boast, okay? Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom. All right? Don't let uh, the strong boast in their strength. Do not let the rich boast in their wealth. But verse 24 says, But let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me. Now to give understanding to this verse, we've got re- we to understand the context. Jeremiah was a prophet in the Old Testament around uh, 590, 580s BC. All right, a big event was about to happen uh, in Jeremiah's life. Okay, and that was the exile. And here's why: the people of God at that time they were religious on Church Day. 
All right? They were religious on the Sabbath. Oh, they would come and they would fill the pews up, but they pursued selfishness throughout the week. They knew about God. There's a difference there between knowing about God and knowing God. They knew about God, but they did not have a real thriving relationship with Him. A type of relationship that that trusts God no matter what. A trust that says, God, the enemies are approaching me. Okay? Uh, uh, there's, there's layoffs at work. Okay? I'm not feeling the way I used to, and I'm afraid I'm waiting for that doctor's call. All these types of things that are going on in our life that, that cause us to realize we can't trust in our strength, in our wisdom, or in our wealth. The person of God says, no matter what, I trust you. No matter what you say for me to do, I do. But the people back then did not have that relationship. They did not trust. They did not obey him. And they were focused on their circumstances. So these people did not pursue God. Listen to what the verse says again. God is saying to Jeremiah to speak to the people. Let him who boasts, boasts in this. That he understands and he knows me. Listen, let this verse sink in. Read it again. Nothing more important than the truth of this passage. Nothing else is as eternally significant as this truth. So how do we understand and how do we know God? God was pleading through Jeremiah. God was pleading with Israel to know and understand him. But they refused. Here's what they did instead. Here's what we're supposed to do the opposite of. Here's what Israel did. They did not listen to his words. When God's people spoke, when when people spoke the word of God, they refused to listen. Whenever Jeremiah says, stop what you're doing and trust in God... Even though he may ask us to do things that don't make sense. They chose to not trust in him. Instead, they trusted in their big three, right? They trusted in their wisdom, their strength, and their their wealth. They trusted in that, which means they did not obey him. They did not obey God. They did the opposite of understanding and knowing Him. So, I think the answer is quite clear, right? What does it mean to understand and know God? It means to humble ourselves to God and His Word. Let's finish out this passage. Such a beautifully profound passage. Jeremiah nine twenty four. all of it says, But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So, So who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Listen, the Lord is the one who practices these three things. Number one, steadfast love. It says it right there, steadfast love. If you were on Wednesday nights, we went through the book of Ruth. And the word steadfast love is the Hebrew word chesed. 
Okay, chesed. And what that word means is, I mean, it's a deep word. It's a great loving kindness. It is a continuing, passionate, loyalty type of love. Okay? And it's directed even to those who do not deserve it. Did you catch that? It is God's choice to pour out His love and affection on someone even if they don't deserve it. The word is translated in other, uh, in other uh, translations as mercy, okay? as kindness, as grace, or as love. So God is the one who practices steadfast love. It's the picture of God Himself coming to a people even though he knows that they will hurt him. That they will reject him. That they will be faithless to him. But oh, to those who receive him, it means everything. I saw a quote and it makes so much, so much profound sense to me. And you may have seen it on Facebook running around. It says, speaking of God... He who knows my worst, yet loves me most. You see, there's nobody on this planet who knows the worst about you. Not even your spouse. Alright? Because they, they see your actions, but they don't know your heart. And it's desperately wicked, Jeremiah says. Your heart is deceitful. Desperately wicked. Who can know it? You don't even know how, how evil you can be. You don't even know that. But God does. God knows your worst and He chooses to love you most. There is nobody, no matter how long you've been married, all right, no matter how special you are to mommy and daddy or grandparents, nobody loves you like God does. Proof. Look what He did for you. To understand that, let's go to the next two words. Who is the Lord? He's the one who practices steadfast love. The next thing it says, justice. Justice. That means that someone, think about a, a, a courtroom and you have a judge. A judge is supposed to govern right, must govern justly with fairness and equity. Okay? So here's what that means. God in his very nature is going to vindicate the victims. Okay, the innocent people who who have, according to this world, been judged as guilty. Okay? The people who have been bullied, the people who have been picked on, the people who have been misrepresented, the people who have been neglected, those people, God is going to serve as the just judge and He is going to vindicate them. He's going to bring them up God is going to give them the reward that they deserve. But also, we live in a world where the evil get away with things, don't they? Laws get passed constantly from people with evil hearts. And listen, I'm not just saying government's evil. I'm part of the problem. But there's going to come a day when a just judge is not only going to lift up the broken and the innocent, 
He is going to bring down and judge and punish those who rightly deserve it. So he's a just person. It's his very nature. But then the next word is righteousness. Okay? I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. This means that God will always do what is right. He is righteous. He will always do it. His mind, the mind of God, completely different from ours, His mind and His actions will always be right. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, to whom there is no shifting shadows or no turning. God is not a shady person. He is not a person who shifts. He doesn't, he's not like, you know, well, let me see what the polls are, okay? People don't like this, well, then I don't like it either. Oh, people do like it this year, well, then I like it. God is not like that. God is perfectly holy, perfectly right, and perfectly just, and he will lead that way. Everything he does is good and moral. To which you say, well, I don't get, there's things in this world that I don't see right. Listen, that's not on God, that's on me. And that's on you. God is good and moral in all things and in all ways. It's his very nature. Now, you know what blows my mind about these three terms? Many times, in our wisdom... In our strength and in our riches, we look at those three as opposed to one another. How can God show steadfast love, righteousness, and justice? God has a way of accomplishing all three. You see, God always is and does right. Amen? God will always do what is just, right? To reward and punish. God will always do that. And listen to this. The steadfast love of God causes God to take the very punishment that he must judge. The very sin that he must condemn. God places it upon himself. To bear that sin, to uphold his righteousness and justice... He must punish sin and he chooses to take that punishment upon himself. You see, that's why Jesus Christ came. The very Lord of this scripture is the same Lord who came down that first Christmas day. The same Jesus lived a perfect life that you and I cannot live. But then he did something crazy, amazing love. How can it be that he would die for me? Jesus, he was on that cross Bearing the sin and the death that I deserved. That, that is proof of his love for you. Your, your grandparents cannot die for your sins. They've got their own sins to deal with. Your spouse cannot take your sins away. No matter how perfect they may seem to you. It's impossible You need the Lord. You need a Savior. There is but one. And his name is Jesus. Do you see the weight of this passage? Who is the Lord? Let's look back at the passage. 
But let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, that, that I am the Lord who practices these three things, steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. And listen to this. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. What does the Lord delight in? Have you ever thought about that? What is it that, that, that brings uh, uh, just, a, 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 I'm trying to think of a good word here, uh, a shaking of the bones of God? What is it that causes God to go, woo? What is the very thing that causes God to get excited? What are the very things that God would say in his own words, I delight in? I love to see. Now, when you delight in something, that means you don't want to do anything else but be there. What is it that God delights in? He just described himself as someone of steadfast love, as someone of justice, and as someone as righteous. And then God, speaking to his people, says, that's what I delight in, says the Lord. That is what I delight in. So what does the Lord delight in? Those who know him. Those who understand him. And listen to this. And those who begin to look like him. Those who begin to look like him. So the very nature of God expressed in this verse, steadfast love, righteousness, and justice are the very things that he delights in seeing in you and me. It brings a shiver to his body of joy. When he sees his own people expressing Steadfast love. Our wisdom says, "Uh uh-uh. You don't earn it, you don't get it. Our strength, here's what our strength says. Our strength says, might overwrite. I want what I want, and since I'm stronger than you, I get it. New York. That is a moral decision. It's what's taking place in New York this week. A moral decision based on, I have a voice, the unborn doesn't. I win. That's what happened in New York. Might over right. That's the best a man can get. Wealth is all about spending it for my glory. That's what this world tells me, to spend it for my glory, when yet I can use it to help spread the good news to the nations. God delights and he desires to see people who are starting to look like him. He understands we're dust. He understands we're not perfect. He understands we're not going to fully attain it this side of heaven. But boy... He loves to see it when a church, when a family, when a person shows love towards people who don't deserve it. Who uses their strength to lift up people instead of bring them down. Who uses the gifts and the wealth that God has blessed them with to be a blessing for others. For eternity. 
That's what God delights in. Does God delight in you? Does God? He knows everything about you. Good, bad, and indifferent. And thank God for His steadfast love toward us. Thank God that He made me just. He made me righteous. But let me ask you this. If your relationship with Jesus has been secured by trusting in Him, let me ask you this. Does your Abba, does your Father delight in you? Does he see you at your workplace? Does he see you at a home? Does he see you in public and in private? And does he look at you and he, does, he, does he bring delight and joy? Does it bring it to him because he sees himself in you? Listen, to pursue anything other than this, to pursue anything other than God, is always going to leave you empty, unsatisfied, and unfulfilled. Take some time today to go to John 4. There was a woman. She tried everything that the world would offer. Men, whatever they had. She tried everything. But she had an unquenchable thirst that water from a well could never satisfy. No matter how much of the things of the world she tried, she was always left Thirsty. Till she met Us today, we're just like the people in Matthew chapter 6. Okay? We, we, we worry about food. We worry about clothing. We, we focus on shelter. And so what does that do to us? It causes us to make the priority of our lives about strength, about wealth, And about wisdom. Neglecting the very one who can give us more. But when God is our pursuit. Listen to this. When God becomes your pursuit. We are then gifted with his wisdom. Amen. We're gifted with his strength. And we are gifted with his riches. For which Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 says this. To all of us who worry. To all of us who are concerned. To all of us think that we have to do it on our own. God says stop. Come and rest in me. He says this specifically. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what's going to happen? All these things will be added to you. You focus on God, God focuses on your life. God focuses on your food. God focuses on your eternity. God focuses on you. But you need to focus on Him. I ask you this. God, His nature, steadfast love, justice, righteousness. Can I ask you this as we're about to close? Do you know the steadfast love of God? The love that pursues you even though we fail Him every day. Do you know the steadfast love of God? The only way you can know the steadfast, the, 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 the unconditional love of God, the only way you can know that is through a person named Jesus Christ. You can't go any other way. Okay, The Bible says that He is the gate. 
Okay? He's the shepherd. He is the only way to God. You can't climb a fence. Okay? The wall is bigger than Trump could ever imagine. Okay? It's an impossible hill to climb. The only way to God is through the door. And that door is Jesus. And how is it opened? By turning from your life. Turning from your wisdom. Turning from your strength. Turning from your... Whatever the third one is. And turning to Jesus. So I ask you, would you do that? Would you leave your riches alone? Would you leave your wisdom and your strength? And let Jesus be your life. Let Him be your Savior. Let Him be your Lord. Would you do that? Because if you do, listen. God's justice will pardon you. Why? Because the penalty of your sin will have already been paid for by Christ. Have you been given Christ's righteousness? If that's the case, listen, you boast in Him. You make your life about Jesus. Don't boast in yourself. It's worthless. Boast in Jesus and for what He has done in you. I read a commentator about this. It's in the popular Bible commentary. Listen to, listen to how he succinctly puts these two verses in its place. Okay? He says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom as though that were sufficient to bring him redemption. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might, trusting in his strength and power to deliver him. Let not the rich glory in his riches as though they could protect him from the threatening destruction. But let him that glories glory in this. Make this fact the one and only foundation of your boasting. That he understands and knows me. That he has learned to know the true God, the triune God, and the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The one Messiah of the world. That I am the Lord which exercises loving kindness... His grace and mercy occupying first place in His attitude over against us, judgment and righteousness in the expression of His holiness and faithfulness in His word, whether in reward or in punishment, in the earth, in His entire relation towards mankind. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. He Himself is active in exercising His bliss in these things. And he is anxious, listen to this, and he is anxious to have his children and all people walk in. What does this say to you? What is the pursuit of your life? What is the passionate pursuit of your life? Is it, is it something that originates here? Something that originates here? Or is it something that will last forever? Let me pray for you. For myself too. I desperately need this truth. Father God, we come to you now as people who desire victory, God, but we're on the wrong track so many times. We're playing the wrong uh, game. We, we're focusing on the wrong priorities. But God, today... Your scripture has given us a truth that we desperately need to hear. And not just hear, but to live out, Father God. God, forgive me for boasting in my strength. 
for boasting in my wisdom and boasting in whatever it is I can earn, Father God. As though that would be sufficient to bribe you into getting into heaven. God, I and everyone in this room needs one thing and one thing alone. His name is Jesus. Please, Father God, my words are so weak. My strength is so fail, frail, Father. But God, you are almighty. Please, Father God, in these moments, speak to the souls of every person in this room. Help them, meet them at their point of need, Father God, I beg you. God, if someone here has realized maybe for the first time or they've been struggling for years about their need to call you Lord and Savior of their life, God, may today be the day of their salvation by trusting in the Lord and His steadfast love for them. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. God, I pray that those of us who are yours, Father God, but God, we're still leaning on our own way to make it. We're we're spending more time listening to the the radio or, or the talk shows, Father God, more than we're into your word. God, we're relying on on our wisdom, our strength, and our wealth. And God, bring us to a place of repentance in those things, God, so that we can seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, God, knowing that you are the one who cares for us even more than we care for ourselves. God, may we be a people who sees the next life as more important than this one. And God, we would stop treasuring things here that moths will destroy, that thieves will steal, and rust will mold away God help us to leave here a people free because we have met you and God in these few moments Lord of invitation God please change us all conform us into the image of your son so that we can be people that you delight seeing savoring we pray in Christ's name Amen